Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number six of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math. Let's start by thanking our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. Head on over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get your free audiobook. Now let's get fired up with our guest, Tracy, and I hope our chat today will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Tracy Fanara, also known as Dr. Trey, received her Bachelor of Science, Master's, and PhD in Environmental Engineering from the University of Florida in 2015. Tracy currently works at Moat Marine Laboratory as manager of the Environmental Health Research Program, where she investigates man-made impacts to the environment and humans. Dr. Trey also drives environmental education through her own company, Inspector Planet. And if you're a fan of Mythbusters, you may have seen Dr. Trey on Mythbusters The Search. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Take a moment to fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Thanks. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and I moved to Gainesville, Florida when I transferred schools because my parents told me that I couldn't go more than an hour and a half away from school. And then they moved to Florida. So I, as soon as they had in-state tuition, I took the opportunity not to be cold anymore. And I went down to the University of Florida and completely fell in love with it. As you can see, I'm a diehard gator. All three degrees are from the same place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And then following my undergrad graduation, I went and I worked as a consultant engineer for about four years. I went into civil design first and then went to an environmental engineering company. And the reason why I went back to school is because I was, every project I had, I was approaching the exact same way and it was encouraged that way. Because any kind of deviation from the typical approach was seen as a possible, you know, waste of time or money, which sustainable design I knew can be done a lot more economically feasibly than than traditional pipe systems. So I went back to school to kind of prove that. And that's what I'm working on now. So you started out as a civil engineer versus an environmental engineer, or are they in the same engineering discipline? They're kind of in the same general field. So there's some crossover between environmental and civil engineering. A lot of schools, even UF, just recently combined the two colleges because there is so much overlap. And especially when it comes to land development, you need environmental engineering as well as the civil engineers. So what we learn as environmental engineers is air pollution control design, uh, some green engineering, water treatment, wastewater treatment processing, uh, chemical engineering, and also stormwater. And that that is where the real crossover between environmental engineering and civil engineering is, is in those municipal systems, including stormwater, which was my focus. Tracy, thanks for that. So there, there's a lot of folks that are not familiar with environmental engineering. So can you go a little bit further and describe what are some of the other opportunities available for a civil or an environmental engineer? So environmental engineering entails so many different aspects of science. You can go into air pollution control design, water, wastewater, ecology, wetlands, green design, energy, renewable energy. um, And my friends have taken very different paths following that. You know, you can go into consulting, you can go into industry, or you can go into research. 
and laboratory studies, which is what I ended up doing after I was doing the consulting. Environmental engineering is just so broad and there's so much you can do with it. And that's why I like it. It's very versatile and it's it's needed in almost every aspect of society. Okay, thanks for that, Tracy. So you've got a PhD in environmental engineering. For someone looking into this STEM career, would they require a master's or a PhD, or can you get a, a job with just a master's degree or an undergrad bachelor of science degree? Well, the great thing about engineering is that you can get positions right from undergrad. And that's kind of, you know, that was really enticing to me at the time because I was, my parents helped me with school and tuition, but I was paying for everything else. I was ready to get out and start making money in the real world when I, when I graduated from undergrad. And I'm really glad that I did it that way because I found out what aspect of environmental engineering I really wanted to focus on in my master's and PhD. But you can get a job right after undergrad. Now, if you go into science, I'm on the research side now, and I see a lot of undergraduate uh, scientists coming out of school, and I see what what we're paying them and the kind of jobs that they're doing for us. And I would highly suggest anybody that's going into the sciences, uh, with the exception of engineering, that they get at least a master's. That's good insight, Tracy. Yeah. I think it's important too, like you had stated that, you know, if you get your bachelor's degree, it may make sense to go off and do some work just to make sure you understand what it is you really want to focus on in a master's degree. And you can always go back for the master's degree or work while you're doing your master's degree. You're exactly right. And that's what I did. I thought I wanted to genetically engineer microbes to clean wastewater when I graduated school. And I was so anxious to get a job. I took the first job, which was in civil engineering. I had no clue what I was doing when I walked in. But I started to realize with every project how important stormwater was and how little people knew how important stormwater was. And that's why I ended up being so intrigued by by that part of the field. So can you dig into that a little bit more, get very specific on what your area of expertise is? My master's research was in stormwater treatment and design. So I was specifically looking at nutrients, uh, phosphorus, transport, and runoff from stormwater. We were looking at, we were actually storm chasing, and we were looking at runoff from parking lots. And we were collecting samples prior to and after treatment by a filter media. It was aluminum oxide coated material. So that was crushed concrete covered with a chemical compound that encouraged adsorption. So basically uptake of these these nutrients. And the reason why that's so important is because excess nutrients can cause something called eutrophication, which is proliferation of algae blooms. And when that happens, you know, if you ever walk by a lake and you see a big mat of algae Uh, That's eutrophication, and it's blocking out the sunlight so photosynthesis can't occur beneath that surface, and also it's reducing the dissolved oxygen within the lakes. Another example of an issue that we're dealing with in Florida is the cyanobacteria blooms that took place last year in the Caloosahatchee and St. Lucie rivers, and some of these cyanobacteria can be harmful and uh, release a toxin. Um, 
most commonly it's called microcystin. So um, it's very important to kind of control our nutrients with all the fertilizer that we're using right now. We're really adding so much into the environment. Yeah, we we have those issues up here in Wisconsin where we've got the algae blooms and the beaches get closed. And I don't recall that happening 30 years ago when I was out swimming in the lakes, but I see it happening more and more today. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. Tracy, can you describe a little bit more of what you did in your PhD research? Yes. So because my master's research was so focused on something specific, I really wanted to open it up to a watershed scale for my dissertation. So I wanted to see if I can hydrologically restore groundwater uh, through low impact design retrofit, which means taking an urban community and changing it so that when it rains and there's stormwater runoff, that runoff is diverted to things like rain gardens or infiltration trenches, wells, uh, cisterns, green roofs, etc. So we promote infiltration and recharging of the groundwater table as well as degradation of pollutants naturally. So every time that we put stormwater through a pipe, there's no treatment. And in the state of Florida, every ounce of water that falls on the ground ends up in our natural water bodies. And when there's no natural treatment, and there's no recharging of the groundwater table, a few things happen. First of all, you know, the algae blooms can occur. Uh, Toxins can get into the water systems affecting the ecology. And also, when we take water out of the ground to use for, you know, showers, drinking water, etc., we are pulling water out of the aquifer creating caves and when that those caves are not replenished with new water through infiltration we get sinkholes and we've been getting a lot of sinkholes in Florida as well. Hey, thanks Tracy. As a research scientist can you describe what a typical workday looks like? Yes so there are no typical workdays as a research scientist. That's That's probably the best way I can describe it. Some days I'm in the field, some days I'm in the lab, some days I'm doing public talks for communities, other days we're training citizens on our citizen science projects, other days, you know, I'm actually writing reports and trying to write publications and grants and doing background research and literature reviews. So we're constantly doing something different. Right now I have a few projects that um, I'm most prevalently working on, and that's, uh, it's called Habscope. It's a NASA-funded project with NOAA and GCUS, and it allows citizens to help us with our red tide monitoring. They take a sample from the ocean, put it under a cell phone microscope, and there's an app with an algorithm that can actually calculate the concentration of red tide based on their shape, size, and movement Uh, through just taking a 30-second recording. So we have volunteers throughout Sarasota County doing that for us right now to troubleshoot the app. And the reason why, I should probably tell you what red tide is. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. (laughs) Okay, so red tide is in the harmful algae, just like many other, like the cyanobacteria microcystin that I talked about earlier. But there's But the difference with red tide is that the toxins can aerosolize, attach onto sea salt particles, and move on shore. So not only are we getting the fish kills and sometimes manatee, sea turtle, and dolphin 
deaths, but we're also experiencing respiratory irritation from the toxin being in the air. And for a healthy person, it may cause coughing, itchy eyes, uh, maybe itchy skin. But for someone with COPD or asthma, this can be very serious. So we want to alert the public as to where the red tide effects are so that they can go to a different beach and have positive beach experiences. Um, and so we have a few different products to do that. We have a citizen science application so people can can give us more information on where these effects are. We also have the Beach Conditions Reporting System, which was first developed in 2006, but my first job at Mount Marine Laboratory was to redevelop it. So it was just released in 2015. We have 33, and now it's going to be, as of next week, 37 Gulf Coast beaches reporting uh, different beach conditions, including red tide effects, but we wanted people to check it all year round. So it also has anything that you would want to know going to the beach, like weather, weather, debris, crowds. Um, and then the next project I'm working on is an endocrine disruption project in the Florida Keys. So we're trying to look at how endocrine disruptors from pesticides, uh, hormones from wastewater outflows, et cetera, affects coral reefs. And my job on this project is obviously the stormwater portion. So I'm looking at the transport of these chemicals and how they're reaching nearshore waters. That sounds like really great research, Tracy. It sounds like you're doing a lot of good for the environment. Um, and I applaud you for that and thank you. Thanks. Probably the most exciting thing that I'm doing right now is trying to develop my own filter media uh, that removes endocrine disruptors. And I'm pairing that with known technology. It's called um, Bold and Gold. And actually now it's called BAM. It just changed its name. But it's a UCF, University of Central Florida product that they're using throughout Florida to get rid of that those nutrients, nitrogen and phosphorus. So I'm pairing that with media that can remove endocrine disruptors and hopefully I can I can come up with something that can really do the environment good in the long run. Excellent. Thanks Tracy. Hey Tracy, we're going to change gears here a little bit. We're going to go into your aha moment. Can you take us to a moment of time of an incredible aha moment you've had at work or your personal life and tell us a story and how you turn that aha moment into success? I guess the most memorable aha moment was when throughout, you know, throughout working, I noticed my parents kept on buying bottled water and I knew how bad bottled water was for the environment and how little or no, you know, benefit they're getting from bottled water. Uh, on top of it, I saw friends throwing things out of side, out of car windows and, I started to ask questions. I started to ask people um, where they thought their water goes when they throw something out on the on the sidewalk. Where where did they think it ended up? And I did this more formally for my master or for my PhD. And I started asking people, you know, about stormwater and and the environment. And seventy two percent of people either didn't know where their stormwater goes or thought it went to a wastewater treatment plant. When in the state of Florida, 100% goes to natural water bodies. So right there, I, I realized how much education was lacking in environmental science throughout society. So I, I started to, to ask myself how, how I can change that. Now that I know 
that there's this big gap in information. How can I get that information across? And can I actually change behaviors? I tried a few different things. I used my parents as guinea pigs. I I told them all about, you know, bottled water and I showed them studies on how tap water was found to be safer in a lot of studies than bottled water. And I told them about how, you know, a lot of bottled water, because they're owned by big companies, they're not even coming from the areas that they're saying that they're coming from because legally they don't have to. And how there's less regulation and, and all of that, you know, they, they took it in. But it wasn't until I showed them an easier way. I got them a Brita filter and they never bought another bottled water again. So right there, I learned that not only do you have to give the information, but you have to give a solution. And because I saw that their behavior changed and because I saw that when I told my friends where stormwater goes, they started being more mindful about trash and about, you know, picking up after their pets and things like that. I noticed that they're you really can change behavior through education. And that's why I followed a path of research, but also with a strong focus on public outreach and education. That's some great work, Tracy. You know, I never realized that about bottled water compared to tap water, that bottled water may actually be worse than than tap water. There's less regulations on bottled water. Tracy, so STEM curriculums can be very challenging, and our audience, you know, call them junior, seniors in high school, you know, some college students and younger students that are thinking about how do we get through these challenging STEM curriculums. So if you could go back in time to when you were 18, what would you tell yourself as you're heading off to college? Some things that you wish you knew back then or even knew back then that would help our STEMers launch into college successfully? Well, a few things. First of all, I wish I knew back then, and and I ended up doing it eventually, but you have to allow yourself to follow a path and a journey throughout college. You know, I I was a biology major, and then I was a dual biology geology major at my, at my first school, and then when I transferred, it was just luck that I ended up in engineering, and I fell in love with it, but you have to allow that path to grow and change and find you know, your direction. Um, and you know, think about the future too, you know, what will you do with that kind of degree? What can you do with your passion? But, but always follow your passion just be creative with it. You had mentioned you're in biology and then you said generically engineering. Can you kind of briefly explain what the difference between, let's say a biology degree would be and your environmental engineering degree would be? Yes. So the difference between science and engineering are all those classes that are called weed out classes in engineering. It's physics and math based in the beginning. And those classes were very difficult for me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. There were hundreds and hundreds of kids in our classes at the University of Florida. It's a big school and, you know, you have to get through physics one and two and statics, dynamics, thermodynamics, uh, differential equations, calculus one, two, and three. You know, all that stuff that, you know, calculus was required for a science major, but but those other courses are not. Uh, and those other courses, that what's so great about them, even though they're challenging, they teach you to finish something that you start that you might not like. And that's a really important lesson to learn. 
Thank you, Tracy. And you were going to cover one more topic. Working hard. It's just, it's worth the sacrifice. I know that there's a lot of, a lot of distractions in college, a lot of fun. You're away from home for the first time and you're meeting new friends and, you know, some of them might not be engineering majors and they have more free time than you do. And you know what? That's okay. In the long run, it's, it's worth it to spend those nights studying because when you look back, you're going to remember those friendships, but you're not going to remember every night out. That's good advice, Tracy. I remember going for engineering and sitting in the library almost every night studying and I had other friends not in engineering, you know, yep. other various disciplines. And yeah, absolutely. They had a lot more free time. So when you're heading off to college, STEM Nation, be prepared. It's it's going to be challenging. So get your mindset right. Get your attitude right. Determine you're going to be successful at it and get that into your mind and you will be successful at it. Right. And find friends that are that are in the same boat as you to, to study with, to work with. You'll always learn something from them and they can learn from you and you can, can grow exponentially that way. All right, Tracy. So what skills or attributes do you think um, STEM Nation would need to have to be successful as they transition from college into their careers? Uh, self-motivation and it, it is probably number one. You know, seek out answers, go ask questions, do not hesitate to ask questions. That is, that is number one. (laughs) Do not hesitate to ask any questions. Don't sit and ponder. I mean, try it, try it on your own first. Work hard, try to figure things out. But if you can't, go ask. There's no point in wasting a whole bunch of time when you could just ask a question. Uh, next is, you know, I hate saying this, but I had a boss tell me this when I was 23 and I, I didn't believe it. He told me perception is reality. And I said, no, reality is reality. And he's like, no. And I see that he was right now. So if you have a choice to come in between 7.30 and 9.30, you get in between 7.30 and 8. You know, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Always look nice and professional, especially when you're young, and work hard. Those are some things that I've seen in really good interns and I've seen lacking in in the ones that need a little bit more work um, are hard work and and self-motivation. Yeah, you got to you got to put in some due diligence, but if you get stuck and you're just you're not making any headway, you got to go ask questions. Exactly. And so many people are so nervous to ask questions cuz they they don't want to look dumb, but it's so worth it. Trust me, like I would rather be asked a million questions than to go see how someone's progress is the next day and see that they hardly got anywhere. Yeah, and we we've chatted about um co-ops and internships and Tracy hit it right on the head, right? If your boss says, yeah, you can come in anytime between 7.30 and 9, you know, get there at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, not at 9 o'clock because they're going to look at that and go, eh, you know, maybe you're a slacker, right? You're getting in at 9, you know, get in early, show your enthusiasm. The thing is, no matter how late you stay, because for me, I was modeling, I was coming in every two hours throughout the night, but no one sees that. And that's, that was the hard thing for me to grasp. I was working 60 hours a week, but no one saw anything after 4.30 because most people were doing the 7.30 to 4.30. And that's, you know, the whole perception is reality thing. All right, Tracy. Hey, are you ready for the lightning round? 
Yes, I am. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I would say the best piece of advice I ever received was to use my common sense first and then rely on my education after. And that's throughout education, too. Um, I would overstudy throughout graduate school and depend on what I was studying and not actually think about the question and the logic. That's That was probably the best piece of advice because it's always common sense first and then use what you've learned. Always apply common sense, Demnation. Tracy, what's a personal habit that contributes to your success? I would say that the personal habit that contributes to my success is my workout routine. I know that sounds crazy, but to have something that I do every day that I can look forward to after work that that marks the end of the day um, has really kept me on track. It makes me stop working so I don't burn out. And it releases, you know, endorphins and relieves stress. And I really, I really think that it's that part of my life has been essential to any success I've had up to this point. Yeah. And I think that's important. You have to take breaks. You have to schedule those breaks. And if that means working out every day, which I think is absolutely important, um, that'll force you to take the breaks, refresh your brain and be more energized to continue doing your best work. True. Tracy, what's your favorite internet resource or phone app? Well, of course, it is the Citizen Science Information Collaboration by Moat Marine Laboratory. Um, uh, actually, no, seriously, though, it, it, it really is because we're coming out with an environmental layer. So anyone from anywhere can report things like algae blooms or odors or changes in ecosystem Um you know, oil spills, anything like that. And I'm super excited about it. But besides that, I'm, I really like Snapchat and I like Snapchat because I can show how cool my job is in 10 second intervals. And, um, you know, you can talk all day long, but actually showing what you're doing and, um, giving a visual visualization really, you know, seems to, seems to help with the interest in science. Tracy, what's one book you recommend and why? My favorite book is Tom Sawyer. And the reason why I would recommend books like that or Harry Potter is that it really opens up your imagination. And creativity is just so important in engineering. There's even though even though the whole idea of engineering was based on creativity uh, in a lot of fields, that creativity is taken and, you know, you're doing things the same way over and over again, but it's so important to maintain that imagination, to think big, you know, to make the impossible possible. And that's why I recommend just letting your mind go to a different place when you're reading. There you go. STEM nation, Tom Sawyer, Tracy, as we wrap up here, can you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM nation? And then we'll say goodbye. You know, I've said this a million times throughout this this interview, but really follow your passion. There's no there's no stereotype to being smart. Anybody can be an engineer or scientist with hard work, but you will hit obstacles. You know, and you'll you'll want to quit. And you just got to push through it because it's worth it in the end. And you'll have a sense of accomplishment. Not only that, you'll have a degree that you can go and get a job and 
you know, make decent money and change the world, you know, with all this changing environment and everything, it's, it's going to be engineers that are really, really needed in the future. Stick with it and go outside of your comfort zone if need be, because that's the only way you really grow. Get outside of that comfort zone, have failures, learn from those. And you know what? I would recommend, you know, for you STEM nation, you know, getting into your STEM careers, you know, starting that curriculum in college is write down on a piece of paper, hey, I am going to finish my degree. By writing that down, you are absolutely more inclined to finish that degree because your brain now says, I am going to finish and I'm not going to stop. So thank you for that, Tracy. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Awesome. Thanks. This is fun. I hope you enjoyed our discussion with Tracy today. Head on over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Tune in next week where we chat with Jerry Brown, who is an actuary and the president of the Society of Actuaries. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.